welcome to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Sararis. I'll get it out of the way. The guest I had lined up for today wasn't able to come on. Busy work obligations. So be it. We're going to talk football, give you some picks, try and help you win some hard-earned American dollars. I hope you were able to piecemeal through Trevor and I's ideas last week to put together something of a, a good ticket. There were a few games that kind of jumped out on people. The Browns beating the Steelers messed up a lot of people. It happens. That's why it's called gambling. There's no such thing as a sure thing. But before I get to the uh, football, if you listened to yesterday's podcast, I mean, was I right or was I right about what the Rangers needed to do to be a better hockey team? And look, I understand it was one game against a really stout defensive team, but I'm sounding the alarm here if I'm the Rangers after one game. They couldn't complete two consecutive passes until midway through the second period. The amount of ice time Jack Johnson got... My God, you would have thought this guy was the second coming of Victor Hedman. I'm, I've am i been out on Quinn for, as head coach for a while, but yeah, I, I'm beyond out. But Hockey Talk will come next week. Blog at Gotham SN, which everyone should be following on Twitter, or Gotham Sports Network is the full web address. Full column up tomorrow. I wrote it before the game Thursday during the day. I wrote it Thursday morning. And editors were busy with other obligations, weren't able to get it up before game time. It'll go up tomorrow morning with an interesting little... uh, The the introduction got reworked after the game tonight to kind of put the predictions into context. So you realize just... I, I, I know what I'm talking about here. When it comes to the Rangers, the amount of hockey I've watched over the last couple of years, I really have a feel for the problems and what can be done to remedy them. But, more importantly, at least for a lot of people, this weekend is one of, if not the single best sports weekend of the year, the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, where you get four quality matchups. This year especially, I absolutely adore all four games. All four games have compelling storylines in a way where I can make an argument for any of the eight teams that are still alive to win the Super Bowl. Yes, that includes the Cleveland Browns. We're going to get to it when I talk about that game on the other side of the drop. But these are eight really good football teams, and I'm really excited to see how this weekend shakes out. Yes, this is a throwback drop, and if you're a college football fan, you will know where this drop comes from. I'll see you guys in a sec. It's a blown coverage touchdown. Texas Tech still breathing. Cameron Batson brings him back to win in a touchdown with a minute 38. And with that, jump right into it. Game number one of the weekend. The Los Angeles Rams and the four-fingered on his throwing hand Jared Goff against the presumptive NFL MVP Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. In the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. As a football fan, does it get better than this? The One of the five best offenses in the league against the number one defense in the league. You're going to get a decent amount of Devontae Adams against Jalen Ramsey. Before I get into it, Packers, six and a half, seven point favorites. Total of 45 and a half. 
this is the most obvious teaser leg of, leg of the weekend. You tease the Packers down to a half, and you really don't think twice about it. But matchups wise, let let let's have fun here, because as a football nerd, all of the Brandon Staley talk the last few weeks. Holy shit, Connor McDavid! Sorry, while I'm recording, Connor McDavid just scored a ridiculous goal against the Canucks. Excuse me. Brandon Staley, defensive coordinator of the Rams, has done a really interesting job in today's NFL of utilizing his talent at a extremely high level. Rams were the number one defense in the league in terms of EPA, the expected points per attempt, which is how analytics, Twitter, at least for football, quantifies quality play. What The way Staley uses his defense is very interesting. You think of Jalen Ramsey as the number one elite shadow corner, which he can be, but the way Staley has used him is in a modified role, which in the verbiage of the Rams defense, they call the star backer. It it doesn't matter what you call it. The way to think of it as a football fan is if you play Madden, the big nickel package, where that where your strong safety traditionally lines up down towards the line of scrimmage, that's how the Rams use Jalen Ramsey. He's down near the line of scrimmage where he's able to be used in the run game as a tackler and in zone coverage, which the Rams play a very good zone coverage scheme because of the defensive backs they have. Darius Williams is extremely underrated. The Rams practice squad, the Rams sniped him off a practice squad. He's been awesome this year as the number two corner. And then you got John Johnson up top, who's a hybrid strong safety linebacker. The Rams' defense is good. Make no mistake about it, this Rams' defense is as elite as they come. We're going to get really good matchups in the trenches, even without David Bakhtiari playing. Corey Lindsley, the Packers center, number five center, PFF grades during the regular season. It's going to get a healthy dose of Aaron Donald. You're going to see Jair Alexander on Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. On the outside, you're going to get a little bit of Adrian Amos on Taylor on Tyler Higby. You're going to get some Ramsey on Devontae Adams, which should be interesting. You'll get John Johnson on Bobby Tunyon, down towards the red zone especially, which should make for an interesting matchup. And then you get the stuff down in the box where you just get Aaron Rodgers. You get Aaron Rodgers' brain, man. Aaron Rodgers is one of the smartest guys to ever put on a helmet. I mean, I know... The man went to Berkeley. Uh, he's a good quarterback. Uh, you take his physical skills with his mental skills, the things he sees pre-snap, which is one of the things that's going to make this matchup so interesting, is that both offenses are derived from the same place. Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, both come from the Michael Shanahan coaching tree. Both were on his staff in Washington. So was Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of the 49ers. So is Raheem Morris, the in, who was the interim coach of the Falcons last year. They all come from the same place where they do a lot of zone runs, which means the offensive linemen go to a zone to one side, whether it's left or right. And then you have the play action off of the zone run. And these are both different takes on it. There are different versions of how to do the zone run play action offense where the Rams like to do a lot of pre-snap motion, jet sweeps, jet excuse me, jet motions, which can sometimes be jet sweeps. And then you see a little bit what the Packers do, where the Packers version of the Shanahan offense 
has a lot of play action, a lot of bootlegs, but there's not as much pre-snap motion, and there's a decent amount of pre-snap motion, but there's not a ton of leeway for quarterbacks to make a decision in the pre-snap stuff where Rodgers will come up to the line and call things out. But this year, what's made Rodgers better is that in year two in this offense, he's got a firmer grasp of it, and LaFleur is has gives Rodgers more leeway in calling things out pre-snap. I, I know a lot of people saw the video of on Sunday Night Football when the Titans were playing the Packers in the snow where A.J. Dillon was in at running back, the rookie out of Boston College, and Rodgers had his hands behind his back and pointed to the one direction to let Dillon which, to know which way to run the ball once the ball was handed off. Those are the little things that give, I think, give the Packers a nice edge here. Jared Goff has been to a Super Bowl. He's played well in big games when the Rams needed him to. I still don't think people remember how well he played in the NFC title game that year against the Saints in New Orleans in the Superdome, where the Rams came out flat as hell. That stadium was roaring loud. Goff was having a hard time getting into a rhythm in their offense, but he found a way to slowly work his way into it. C.J. Anderson off the couch was effective out of the backfield. Now, I don't think golf is going to be a particularly important factor in this game. I mean, you saw him last week against Seattle. He was having a hard time throwing the football. I mean, he did only have thumb surgery less than two we- about two weeks ago now. He can throw, but not with a ton of accuracy, and he can't throw ridic- pretty. He can't throw a tight spiral anymore. I mean, go pick up a football right now and think about how- what you have to do to throw a spiral, how you have to spin it off of your fingers. It's going to be hard for Goff to throw the ball with any real velocity if his thumb is still as swollen and tender as it was last week. I like Green Bay in this game. Green Bay's run defense is pretty middle of the road. It's in the teens. Kenny Clark is still a pretty good defensive tackle. You've got Rashawn Gary. You've got Zadarius Smith. You've got you've got guys who can play in the box. Adrian Amos. You, you, the Packers need to sell out to stop the run and force Goff to throw, because if they force Goff to throw, this game is a wrap. Green Bay can run the ball, they can throw the ball on you. Green Bay's offense has been a master class this season. Rodgers is the MVP for a reason. He threw for 40 touchdowns. The only concern I have if I'm Green Bay is if they really do, if they go away from their tendency and they actually do have Jalen Ramsey shadow Devontae Adams, who else can make a play for me? That's my only concern if I'm betting Green Bay in this game. That's not what Green Bay's done, excuse me, what the Rams have done this season in regular season games. They've played a lot of zone where Jalen Ramsey takes away half of the field and then they'll have Darius Williams on the other side and then... They'll have another corner, another safety shading away. And Jalen Ramsey's job is to just take away half of the field. If you look at Russell Wilson's pass chart for this past week, they put Jalen Ramsey to Russell Wilson's right, and he attempted significantly more passes to the left-hand side of the field than the right-hand side of the field because Ramsey was on that right side. If they, if the Rams do that, they effective, if they are able to keep Adams in check, where else are you going to get a play? We've seen it before from Green Bay in these situations where if Adams can't get going, they have a hard time finding someone else in the offense. 
This year, the game, the one truly bad game Green Bay played against Tampa Bay, they were up 10-0 in that game and then subsequently got ran off of the field. And that's in part because they got away from the running game. And I am not a believer that the running game actually sets up play action anymore because the statistical record shows that you don't need to be able to effectively run the ball to run play action passes. But you have to run the ball every now and then just so the defense isn't sitting past every single play. I believe Green Bay ran the ball 10 total times in their loss to Tampa Bay. I understand you're down big, but you got to run the ball here and there just so the defense isn't sitting past every single play. I think Green Bay and the Rams, you tease that down to a half with Green Bay, and I'll get to what you put that with in a minute. I would consider the under in this game solely from the perspective I don't know how many points the Rams are going to give you. The total being 45, I lean towards the good offense now. It used to be that the good defense always pulled out in these games between the elite defense and the elite offense. The one that everyone still recalls is the Seahawks and the Broncos in the Super Bowl where it was the the Peyton Manning 55 passing touchdown season against the Legion of Boom and the Seahawks ran Denver off of the field. Slowly but surely, because of the way the game is called now, Offense has favorable, offense is favorable, and there are more things for the offense to do. If I had to play a side, I would probably play Green Bay six and a half, straight up. But we'll we'll tease that down to a half, and we'll put that with something else, and we'll help you guys out. Game number two, my favorite game of the weekend. I think every single person's favorite game of the weekend. It's the last football game of the year we're going to get with Michaels and Collinsworth. NBC doesn't have any, either of the conference championship games, nor the Super Bowl this year, so, oh my god, Connor McDavid. That was disgusting. That man is not right. That was an insane goal. My freaking goodness. It's a travesty that boy does not play on American television ever. Sorry again. Really special hockey player. Buffalo and the Ravens, very fun matchup. You've got electrifying guys on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, for both teams. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Talent-wise, the Ravens are a better team. Talent-wise, the Ravens are better. Based on their form in the wild card round, the Ravens are playing better the last few weeks. The Ravens have been in playoff games effectively since the first week of December, where they needed to win every single game just to have a chance coming into the last weekend of the regular season. The Ravens weren't perfect against Tennessee, but they were able to get their running game going, specifically Lamar. They had a hard time running the ball with J.K. Dobbins and uh, Gus Edwards, but Lamar was able to run the ball enough, and they were able to do enough things in the short passing game for stuff after the catch that they were able to pull that game out after getting down to nothing. I will say, Trevor and I talked about it last week. We needed to see Lamar be able to pass his team back into a game. He didn't really pass them back into it, but he passed just enough and complemented that with his unrivaled running game to win that game against Tennessee. And Vrabel's a coward, which I covered on Monday's episode of the pod. The, the situ- When he punted from the Baltimore 40, I knew Baltimore was going to end up winning that game. Looking 
at this game, the key matchup that all of football media is talking about is the trenches, where it's the Baltimore box against the Bills offensive line, and then the inverse, the Ravens box game as offensive players, the offensive line in the running game against the Bills box players. That's what everyone's harping on because the Bills haven't been able to effectively run the ball pretty much all season because they haven't gotten good offensive line play. They lost Zach Moss in the game against the Colts, I believe sprained ankle. I don't think it was broken, but he's definitely not going to be able to go this weekend, so it's going to be Devin Singletary. TJ Yeldon, if you remember that name, Jaguar, Alabama running back once upon a time. I like Pretty much everyone else likes the Ravens in this spot, getting two points, two and a half points on the road. This It's a beautiful thing to hear as a football fan. It is expected to snow Saturday night. Snow, everyone thinks snow favors a steady running game, but as the Packers proved on Sunday Night Football against the Titans, it really does help your passing game because your receivers know where they're supposed to go and the defensive backs are reacting to where the receivers are going. There's a universe in which the Bills throw the ball all over the yard as long as they can absorb the Ravens' pass rush. The Ravens love, love, love to blitz from exotic ways. They will only have it. Li- they will have their traditional, their four down linemen, two linebackers in the box, make it look like nickel, but. Once the ball is snapped, the defensive tackles will stunt, which means they go opposite the gap they're originally lined up on, and a linebacker will follow them through the gap, or they'll bring a nickel cor- they'll bring the nickel corner in off a blitz, or they'll bring a safety on a blitz. There's a lot of different things the Ravens like to do on defense. They rely on pressure. Wink Martindale loves, loves, loves to blitz. And it's interesting because the st- The talking point I've seen a lot on gambling Twitter is how Josh Allen has done against cover zero defense. Cover zero defense means there are no safeties covering the top of the field. Cover zero defense means your corners are all man-to-man and your safeties are coming down to the box, whether they're blitzing, they're on a tight end, they're on a wide receiver, what have you. It means there's no safety help over the top and your corners are going to play man coverage. For the Ravens, that's a, a tantalizing proposition. You have Marcus Peters, you have Tony Jefferson, you have Jimmy Smith coming back from injury. You match them up with Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, or John Brown. You're willing to live with those odds in man coverage and hope your blitz is able to get home in a cover zero situation. I've seen a lot of that. The one thing I want people to account for is Josh Allen. We saw flashes of it last week against the Colts. When the play broke down, Josh Allen made things happen. Josh Allen still occasionally prone to the brain fart. The one sack fumble he had late in the fourth quarter was inexcusable, where he was just trying to extend the play. He broke a tackle, and then the second guy who came in to tackle him forced a fumble. Just inexcusable mental lapse from Josh Allen there. But... At the same time, you saw that first touchdown pass to Dawson Knox, which was originally a QB power, where Allen tried to run to his right, but the offensive line got no push and he had nowhere to run, 
and then he just shovel flipped it into the corner and Knox was able to come down with it. Allen is in one of the weirder spaces as a quarterback you can be where he's kind of proven himself at least to this point this season that he has a feel for his physical limitations of what he can and can't do but in spurts when you see him roll out of the pocket and just fire an absolute sideline dart to either Diggs or during the wild card round, it was a lot of Gabriel Davis, just absolute rockets off of one foot, off of no feet. Allen's improvisation skills are tremendous. And look, I would not be surprised if the Bills won this game. I think a lot of people feel that the Bills are going to win this game. I think. Honestly, your straightforward teaser of the weekend is you tease Green Bay down to a half and the Ravens up to nine and a half, and you just, you live with that, because I think there's not a universe in which the Bills blow out the Ravens barring catastrophe. I think you're more likely to get that than the alternative. I think it's a safe play to get the Ravens nine and a half, plus nine and a half. Because you got to figure, the Ravens are going to look to do a lot of what they did this past week against Tennessee. They're going to want to run the ball. There's going to be a lot of inside runs because the Ravens feel like they're stronger interior against a weaker Bills interior. Bills do have Ed Oliver inside. No disrespect to the Houston man who at one point looked like a presumptive first number one overall pick. Not first round pick, first overall pick, the defensive lineman who ended up going, I think, sixth overall. Ed Oliver had a lot of buzz going into his draft year. Kind of had a weaker draft year, but still quality. Still a very freaky physical player for someone his size. A lot of agility, a lot of speed. I like the Ravens in this game. Just, I got that feeling. I know everyone to last weekend pretty convinced that the Ravens were going to beat Tennessee. And the Ravens did beat Tennessee, but... The Ravens' offense had a hard time against a weak Tennessee defense. That's a fair criticism. I understand where people feel on that. But, yes, there's a but. When you think about Baltimore's offense, what do you picture in your head? You picture a lot of power, a lot of traps, a lot of wham, a lot of play-action bootlegs, a lot of designed rollouts where Lamar only has to look at half of the field. I'm pretty positive there's not a single player on Buffalo's defense who could keep up with Lamar Jackson in the open field if they had to chase him down if he got to open space. Granted, most defenses don't have someone that fast. Maybe Troy Apke, the uh, Penn State legend and Combine legend. But other than that, I lean Baltimore in this game. I would like the Bills to win. I would... Hey... If you told me I could get a Bills-Chiefs or Bills-Browns AFC title game back in August, I would have been ecstatic for purely the storyline perspective. And then you throw in the snow wrinkle, and suddenly I, I'm almost tempted to say, forget picking a side, let's just do a snowver. And then you remember how hard a time Buffalo, uh, excuse me, the Ravens had moving the ball against a pretty bad Tennessee defense, which was more scheme than talent this past week, where they kind of sold out to stop the run, and they just lived with the few big plays Lamar burned them for. 
the only issue I have if I'm going to back Baltimore, which I am, I already have Baltimore and Green Bay in a teaser, and I'm probably going to double dip and take the Ravens plus two and a half separately. The only issue I'm going to have if I'm going to double dip is if the Bills are able to get their passing game going enough, is the Ravens offense going to be able to keep pace? Can the Ravens offense give you 25, 27 points in the snow? I'm pro- I'm going to take ball. I already have Baltimore side in a teaser on the part in the teaser up to nine and a half. And I'm probably going to also dip in on the minus, plus two and a half because I think there's a pretty good chance the Ravens win this game outright. The snow favors a running team is your conventional wisdom. The other thing you want to think about is coaching. Typically in your playoff matchups, you have to think about the coaches. I didn't really touch on it in the uh, Packers-Rams part of this because I think LaFleur and McVay are pretty are an even category of coaching. They run similar offenses. They have similar levels of aggressiveness in terms of their play calling. In this game, McDermott and Harbaugh. Harbaugh has been to this dance quite a few times. Harbaugh is pretty aggressive in terms of going forward on fourth down. How aggressive is McDermott going to be willing to be? Allen, you want the ball in Josh Allen's hands in the key situations in this game. I, If you were to redraft that draft class, Josh Allen probably goes first overall. It probably goes Josh Allen, Lamar, Baker, Darnold, and then Josh Rosen. If you were to redo the draft order now with the benefit of hindsight just because of what Allen's become, I mean... Not a lot of people figured he'd ever be able to sniff 70% completions this year, but they've put him in a perfect offense for his skill set. They gave him a beautiful complement of weapons. The running game is an issue that stems from their offensive line not getting a ton of push upfield. It's okay. Again, we're play number one. We're teasing Green Bay down to a half and the Ravens up to nine and a half, and we're going to live with that. I'm probably going to jump back in on the Ravens plus two and a half. I probably should have gotten them when the lines originally came out and it was Ravens plus three and a half, but I'll live with that. If I bet Baltimore, I feel pretty okay with that. I think the snow helps them more than it helps Buffalo just because of you always got to account for those moments where Josh Allen has, has his plus come out in him where he's unwilling to just let a play die and he does something stupid like he did in the game last week against Indy where he tried to break a sack he broke the first and then he fumbled backwards and he was lucky an offensive lineman fell on the football game numero tres Cleveland Browns at the Kansas City Chiefs Kansas City 10 point favorites your total 57 points interesting on a number of levels not a lot of people expected the browns to be here including me someone who has stumped advocated endorsed what the browns have done over the last year and a half in terms of talent acquisition roster construction and now assuming 
everything is golden with Joel Batonio, Stefanski, Denzel Ward coming back from COVID protocol. I really, really, really want to take the Browns plus 10.5 because Kansas City has not covered any of these big numbers they've had during the course of this season. They've been 10-point favorites, 14, 17.5, 18-point favorites. Just for whatever reason, the Chiefs, once they get a lead, do not run up the score, and it makes it difficult for them to cover these bigger numbers. 10 points is pretty big, especially for the divisional round of the playoffs. The Chiefs' defense is situationally good. I got all the respect in the world for Steve Spagnuolo, one of the better defensive coordinators of this era. When you give him pass rushers, he can make things work. I'm uh, As a Giant fan, Spags' work as the D.C., more than once, all the respect in the world. The th- the problem I have with the Chiefs' defense is when it comes to actually, you know, covering people down the field, aside from the honey badger, Tyron Matthew, I don't have a ton of confidence in who's going to be matching up with the Browns' offensive players. They don't have particularly fast linebackers, which is a problem for... Kansas City in this matchup because the Browns like to throw to the tight end and the running back a lot. Harrison Bryant, Njoku, Austin Hooper, three quality tight ends, and they like to throw to Kareem Hunt a good amount out of the backfield, and they will throw to Chubb from time to time to help keep the defense honest. That's an important tendency breaker as an offense, or if you have a, a running back split, you have to throw to your running back your receive you have to throw to your running running back and run with your receiving back. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but you can't only run the ball with Nick Chubb and only throw to Kareem Hunt. You gotta do the inverse sometimes just to help keep the defense honest. I want to bet Browns plus ten just because I feel like the Browns have the skill position players to at least make this a a game. I think Kansas City's offense will be able to score as much as they want. Denzel Ward is a very good number one corner, but you can't match him up on Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill's going to eat that man for breakfast. He's so fast. Then you run into the issue of safety, where you get Sandejo, who's not a good covered safety. And then it's a matter of who else you got. Don't know if either Carl Joseph or Ronnie Harrison are going to be good to go at safety. And then opposite corner, I mean, we saw it last week. I know the Steelers were playing catch-up the entire second half. Eh, hell, the, the Steelers were playing the catch-up the entire game. I mean, it was 28 nothing in the first quarter at one point, so the Browns just sat in their self-zone and played no doubles defense for most of the game. But Ben still threw for 500 yards, and the Browns still scored in the mid-30s. Uh, excuse me, the Steelers still scored in the mid-30s. This Browns defense doesn't strike fear into anyone. Chiefs offensive line has not been great, especially in pass protection. It's more obvious this year than last year. They've had a few opt-outs. The one guy on their offensive line is a doctor in Canada, so he opted out to, like, you know, go use his medical degree to go, like, help fight the pandemic, which is admirable. But I'm sure Andy Reid wishes Laurent 
Duvernay Tardif, yes, I, I got it, I, I said it right with the right accent, was playing for the Chiefs this weekend against the Browns. The Browns' pass rush is not particularly good, but Miles Garrett, as an individual, is a mismatch for most offensive linemen. If the Browns are going to have a chance of staying alive in this game, and I'm not even talking about winning, they need to keep everything in front of them. That's a lot easier said than done against Kansas City. We all know what Tyreek Hill can do. We know what Miko Hardman can do. We know Travis Kelsey is a mismatch for pretty much every type of defensive player that isn't a corner. Then you get into the secondary guys. I mean, you got to see what Kansas City can do in the running game, whether it's Darrell Williams, whether it's Le'Veon Bell. You do have to run a little bit just to keep the defense honest, like I had mentioned before when I was talking about the Buffalo-Baltimore game and the Rams-Green Bay game in regards to Green Bay. You have to be able to run the ball just a little bit to keep the defense honest. Uh, Granted, there are caveats to this. There are exceptions to that rule. If you try and sit in zone coverage against Patrick Mahomes, that man will just dot you up, and someone will get open more often than not, especially against a pretty weak Browns secondary. If I had to play a side straight up, I'd play the Browns plus 10. Kansas City hasn't been covering these big numbers all year. Yes, it's a perfect time for them to get right and uh, get right in air quotes because, of course, the Chiefs only had two losses in the regular season, only one with Mahomes playing quarterback as a get right game against the spread, at least. Perfect situation for them to do so against a pretty bad defense. Brown's offense is pretty legit. They moved the ball not at will against Pittsburgh's offense. They had a short field in a lot of situations. They had easy passing situations where it was unpredictable whether they were going to run or pass, and then they were able to utilize play action, roll Baker out, those kind of things against the Steelers. Chiefs defense is not as good as the Steelers defense. They don't have the secondary guys, whether it's Fitzpatrick, Mike Hilton. Chiefs don't have anyone. Tyron Matthew, yes. If you put Tyron Matthew on Austin Hooper, at least in man coverage on certain sets, he'll have a decent chance against him. But I like the Browns' ability to move the ball. I think specifically running the ball. Browns' offensive line is just tremendous. If you haven't watched a Baldy, Brian Baldinger, of NFL Network's breakdown of the Browns' offensive line, which he's called the Union this year, you really got to treat yourself. Left to right, I mean, just absolutely insane stuff. Whether it's Wills at left tackle, Betonio, who should be coming back from COVID at left guard, J.C. Treader at center, Wyatt Teller at right guard, or Jack Conklin at right tackle. Browns were the number one offensive line for PFF grade in rushing and passing. That doesn't happen a lot. We have to give the great Bill Callahan, not Bo Callahan, not not the quarterback from the Kevin Costner Browns movie, Bill Callahan, the offensive line coach of the Browns. We got to give him a lot of credit for how well those guys have played, especially, especially Wyatt Teller, who was a free agent that the Browns brought in, and he played like the best right guard in football this year. I, if you're on, if you're on football Twitter and you follow certain NFL writers. Specifically, I'm thinking of Robert Mays from The Athletic, who just, when he's doing his uh, during-the-week film rewatch of games, 
he loves posting Wyatt Teller pancake blocks of people. There was one he posted today, Thursday during the day, of him just absolutely blowing up a, a Steeler defensive lineman on a pull, when he pulled and Chubb followed him and gained like 12 yards. Wyatt Teller's awesome. That entire Browns offensive line is awesome. Don't know what Jack Conklin's status is, if he's going to be able to go the right tackle. They've been able to substitute in here and there. The right tackle they had come in for Conklin during the game against Pittsburgh when he got hurt was fine. The Browns did not give up a single pressure when the Steelers blitzed. Steelers are one of the most aggressive blitzing teams in the league. Kansas City will blitz a decent amount, but it's just a matter of can KC play with its food on offense and not back itself into a corner? We've seen it a couple of times this year where Kansas City got out to a big lead early and then let their foot off the gas because Andy Reid didn't want to use plays that he might need later in the season. We've seen it specifically from the Patriots used to do that a lot where they would have those early, those September, October struggles. And as the season developed, then once it came to the key games, the Patriots always found a play. The double pass, the the eligible offensive tackle down the field, the running back, what have you. When it comes time for it, I assume Andy Reid's got the the couple pages in the playbook of plays they haven't broken out yet that they have for the playoffs in situations they're going to need it. We saw it last year where they came back in all of their games, whether it was against Houston, Kansas City, or the uh, excuse me, Houston, Tennessee, or the Niners in the Super Bowl. When the Chiefs need to, they can score off at, score offensively. We've seen teams give them a hard time. The Falcons in particular stand out just because the Falcons' defense wasn't particularly good in the regular season. But from a pure matchups perspective, I like the offenses on both teams. If I had, Honestly, if I had to play a side, I'd play the over in this game. So, so far, working through the three games, we've got Rams down to a half, the, the Ravens up to nine and a half, and then we like the over in Kansas City, Cleveland, because we like the offenses and we don't like the defenses in this matchup. Neither is particularly talented. The Chiefs will be able to move the ball in the Cleveland defense. And Cleveland, even if they're chasing, should be able to move the ball offensively because of what they do, especially who they like to target. I assume they're, the Chiefs are going to end up with a lot of Sorensen on Jarvis Landry or Austin Hooper, which is a mismatch. Sorensen is fine in zone coverage, but if you actually have to man him up on someone, he gets cooked a lot. If you put him on, like, Kareem Hunt, Brown's key for this game, I'm going to go against what The Athletic told us in their case study a couple months ago when they said that the key to beating the Chiefs was outscoring the Chiefs, the Browns need to shorten this game and try and get turnovers. The study, uh, it's important I emphasize this. With consistency, the best way to beat the Chiefs was to try and score as quickly and efficiently as possible. On any given Sunday in a single game sample, your best bet is to try and force Mahomes into a turnover and shorten the game and keep it away from him. Yes, the Chiefs can score on one play at any given time to Tyreek Hill and Nicole Harmon. That's just, that's a reality of the game, especially when you're a defense like Cleveland that is going to have to sell out to try and get some pass rush 
and sell out to try and actually play decent defense because Kansas City should be able to move the ball at will. It's a fun game. Kansas City-Cleveland, everyone and their mother is going to reference the Baker Mayfield-Patrick Mahomes game in college they had where both teams combined for about 1,000 yards of offense. Mahomes threw the ball 85 times, ran the ball 12 times, and Mayfield's Oklahoma team won. And I think that was the year Mayfield won the Heisman at Oklahoma. I could be wrong. That might have been the year he finished second or third. But everyone and their mother is going to talk about that game. I highly encourage you to go and find it. It, The entire game is on YouTube for free. It's one of the best college football games of the decade. Those offenses are both so well-schemed where receivers are open down the field all the time. And, of course, Big 12 defenses don't actually like to tackle down the field. So... Makes for a really, really fun watch. If you've got time to get it in before Sunday, highly, highly recommend it. Maybe Lincoln Riley goes to the Eagles. I don't think it happens, but maybe, maybe. Last game of the weekend is the one with Legacy on the line. Bucks Saints. In the Superdome. Saints, three-point favorites. Your total is 52. The boomer sports media people are drooling over Drew Brees versus Tom Brady with a trip to the NFC title game on the line. Brees said it himself in his media availability Wednesday. When Tom Brady signed with the Buccaneers in this past offseason... He just assumed that they were going to play the the Saints, meaning he, when I say he. He assumed they were going to play the Buccaneers to get to the NFC title game or the Super Bowl, depending on the seeding, because, you know, seeding, funky, where the highest seed plays the lowest seed. We know what Drew Brees meant. He figured the road to a Super Bowl in his last season was going to go through Tampa Bay. The interesting thing here... This was a Rich Eisen hot overreaction of overreaction Monday take a couple of weeks ago now. This was probably mid-November. The Saints are a defense-first team. Yeah, Sean Payton is still the head coach and Drew Brees is still the quarterback, but the Saints should beat you with their defense, not their offense. They're not going to outscore you, which is going to make this game particularly interesting because Tampa Bay's offense is been so efficient its last five games. Tampa Bay didn't look great against the football team last week in the divi- in the uh, wild card round. Brady still threw for 300 plus yards. They got Mike Evans in there. Antonio Brown caught a touchdown. They still got Godwin. They got Brace. They got Scotty Miller. Buccaneers litany of weapons. The key for the Buccaneers is going to be exercising their demons. Both times the Buccaneers played the Saints in the regular season, the Saints ran them off the field. The first time, 30-10 week one. The second time, the Buccaneers only scored one offensive touchdown and Brady was out of that game in the fourth quarter. The crazy thing is, I like Tampa Bay in this game, getting points on the road. Tampa Bay's offense is playing very well right now. Their defense leaves a lot to be desired. We saw what uh, 
Taylor Henneke did last week against them where he was able to run the ball pretty well and throw the ball for over 300 yards as well. We know that Tampa Bay's defense is over-aggressive. It can be burned because of its aggressive nature, how much Todd Bowles likes to blitz, that kind of thing. I still like the Buccaneers in this spot. I mean, honestly, from purely a value perspective, if you can still get the Buccaneers at like 7-1 to one to win the Super Bowl, I don't hate that one bit, just purely on value, because you got to figure, if the Buccaneers can beat the Saints in the Superdome, Buccaneers can go to Green Bay and beat them next week. Or if something weird happens and the Rams beat Green Bay, Buccaneers can beat the Rams at home. I know the Rams beat the Buccaneers at home in the regular season on Monday Night Football when all of us people who are way too into gambling said the Rams are going to win this game. McVay's a better coach than Arians. That's my one apprehension in this spot about playing Tampa Bay. I trust Sean Payton more than I trust Bruce Arians. I'm probably going to end up playing Tampa Bay at plus three. I think if you tease Tampa Bay to plus ten, or if I had to play a side, whether the total or um, on the straight line, I'd probably end up playing the under just because teams playing each other the third time through, it favors the under because these teams are so familiar with each other. And both teams do have top five defenses in terms of efficiency and getting the other team off of the field. Saints have a very good defense. Buccaneers defense is not as good, but it is still talented. They can generate a pass rush. We got to see who's back for them. They're supposed to be getting some reinforcements. I think Devin White is supposed to be able to go this week. And yes, analytics, Twitter, stats, Twitter. I'm sorry from what about to, for what I'm about to say, but Buccaneers have momentum, man. They've been rolling for a solid month and a half. That offense is clicking. I know Evans isn't 100%. I know Godwin isn't 100%, but they can move the ball pretty efficiently through the air. They've been more inclined to throw on early downs, which helps them. We got to see. The Saints offense has not been particularly good for a couple of weeks now. We all know Noodle Arm Drew Brees is just waiting to throw a horrendous pick over the middle, trying to force a ball into a window that Brees doesn't realize he can't force it into anymore. This Buccaneers defense is aggressive. They do play the ball in the air pretty aggressively, trying to get interceptions, forcing completions, that kind of thing. I like Tampa Bay in this spot. I don't think the whole Drew Brees at the Superdome thing is worth a lot. My friend Blake, I I get to say my friend Blake, who works at Gotham, one of his big gambling points is that the Saints are overvalued at home, that the Saints at the Superdome are not particularly better than any other home field advantage against the spread, what have you. Saints offense just, it, it hasn't been particularly good the last month. Basically, since Breeze came back from the broken rib. Yes, they've scored a lot of points, but a lot of that stems from their defense playing well and giving the offense a short field. We're assuming that Tampa Bay isn't going to turn the ball over like they have in the two matchups against the Saints. If Tom takes care of the ball, the offense moves. I really like Tampa Bay in this spot. And if we go into championship weekend next weekend with... Ravens, Chiefs, Buccaneers, Packers, is anyone going to complain? I think that sounds pretty good. 
I mean, of course, if he gave me the opposite, if he gave me Bills, Browns, Rams, Saints, I wouldn't complain either. That's another two good games. That's the beautiful thing about this time of year, folks. All the games are going to be good. Even Chiefs-Browns, which kind of seems like a laugher for most people, especially with the spread being 10. I'm excited to see what the Browns can do coming off of the biggest win in their franchise's history. And yes, since the Browns went back to Cleveland, this is the biggest win in Browns history, them beating the Steelers in wildcard weekend. Going on the road to beat your division rival that's owned you for two decades, that counts. Now it's time to see if the Chiefs come back, uh, excuse me, the Browns come back and are able to avoid the classic letdown spot and cover a big number. I don't expect the Browns to win, but 10 points, a lot of points for an offense that's able to move the ball pretty well. Feel pretty confident about the Chiefs. Pretty confident about the Browns being able to cover that number. To wrap up the Tampa Bay New Orleans part of this discussion before I let everyone go and encourage everyone to have a good Friday. Enjoy it, man. This is probably the last time we're ever going to see two quarterbacks with the resumes of Breeze and Brady go head-to-head. Ever. Because no one plays 20 years in the league anymore. Just relatively speaking, this would be like if Mahomes, who was 2017... Like, if Mahomes got to play Lamar or Josh Allen in the AFC title game in, like, 2038. Yes, 2038 is a real year that will eventually happen. That's what this is the comparable of. And if one of the... If if Mahomes goes on to win, like, you know, seven Super Bowls, and Lamar goes on to win one or two while putting up the record for rushing yards by a quarterback, which he's going to do either way. It's not like passing yards, which will take a while for a quarterback to accumulate. Lamar is going to break the record for rushing yards by a quarterback just because it's, so indic- it's so important for his style of play. If that potentially happens about 18 years from now, great. Enjoy it, man. Every single week is probably Drew Brees' last game. The Saints want to keep winning to keep Breeze's career alive. We're all but sure Breeze is going to retire, go to NBC, start doing the Notre Dame games on Saturdays, and be groomed into the role to take over for Collinsworth. They want to put Tarico and they want to put I, I they want to put Tarico and Breeze on Sunday Night Football in a few years once Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth are willing to step away from that job. I hope Michaels never retires. I hope they're able they're able to reanimate Al Michaels once he passes away and he's able to broadcast football games till I die because that's what matters, in my opinion. Michaels is the best football broadcaster of all time. No, I didn't get to see Pat Summerall. No, I didn't get to see the great Howard Cosell. But Al Michaels is my favorite play-by-play guy, and I'll stand by that. Yeah, it's because the Sunday Night Football package is just the best package, I'll be frank with you, and it's a shame they don't get the Super Bowl every single year just because Michaels and Collinsworth are so good. Yes, I like Romo and Nance. Yes, Buck and Aikman have grown on me. And I gotta say, Ian Eagle and Charles Davis on CBS as the B team have been outstanding this year, especially considering this is their first year together as partners. They've been really good. All that's moot. I'm so goddamn excited for this weekend. Just as a quick wrap-up reminder, our plays 
Green Bay down to a half with the Ravens up to nine and a half. Our teaser. That's my favorite, favorite bet of the weekend. It's the one I already have locked in. I'm going to bet Baltimore plus two and a half on the road. I'm not feeling great about it, but I feel like the Ravens have the momentum and this type of game will favor their play style. If I lose to Josh Allen throwing the ball over all over the yard against a pretty good defense, I can live with that. That that I can live with that as a gambler. I like Tampa Bay getting three points on the road. I think Tampa Bay is just better than New Orleans. We haven't seen it in their previous two matchups, but that's why I like Tampa Bay. It's really hard to beat a team three times in the same season. And like the Browns plus 10. Kansas City's defense is nothing great. Plus 10 leaves you plenty of room for a backdoor cover. We know Kansas City likes to take its foot off the gas if they get out to a big lead and that plays favorably into the Browns getting their way back into it on the back door. Do with those what you will. By all means, go listen to other people. I highly recommend you go read, or at least go follow Blake Crafts from Gotham on Twitter. Go get his opinion. Go look at the Action Network's gambling podcast. Go listen to PFF's gambling podcast. Put together as many resources as you can before you put your bets in. As many resources as you have access to, the better you are as a gambler. These are all people's opinions. The more opinions you're able to thread together, you feel more confident in your plays. It's why I've done better this year in football, because I've listened to so many different resources that I'm able to put it all together. Got to shout out Kuz, who was on Blake's podcast, who I found on Twitter. He gives out good plays. All of this bleeds into each other. If you really want to take your football gambling seriously, listen to as many podcasts, read as many columns as possible. As much information as you can gather before you put your bets in, the better. The more information you have, the better you can feel about your plays. And if you lose on the right side, you learn to live with that as a gambler. That's fine. And we'll be back. Next week, exciting lineup, hockey-heavy lineup so far for next week. We've got NWHL episode talking about the bubble in Lake Placid on Monday. Tuesday, Blackhawks, one of the more interesting teams in the NHL this season because they have so much unknown. Their captain, Jonathan Taze, is away from the team for medical reasons. Extremely young team, came into the season with no established number one goaltender. A coach, Jeremy Colleyton, who's kind of on the hot seat, who hasn't really gotten a ton of results out of that team. Stan Bowman, the general manager and president, who's really done a pretty poor job of assembling a roster. Going to make for an interesting episode just because there are so many things to talk about with that team, especially in light of how the last decade went for them, winning the three Stanley Cups in five years. Wednesday, Thursday, still up in the air for what we're going to do. A few things to try and piece together. And then, of course, Friday will be a conference championship preview. I can't believe we've gotten this far, guys. I didn't know if we were going to have a football season back in August. I am so grateful we do. Before I let everyone go and get about their Friday, got to remind everyone, please like well, follow. Not not YouTube, yeah. Please follow the podcast on Spotify. 
subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts, follow if you're on SoundCloud or one of the other platforms, leave a review please, we're slowly but surely accumulating more followers, more likes, more listens every single week, organically growing this thing, I don't have the institutional backing of a major publication, we're growing this thing one listener at a time, trying to help make everyone a bit smarter of a sports fan through the perspective of a fan. I'll see you guys next week. Enjoy the hockey. Enjoy the football. Enjoy the basketball. Enjoy the soccer. I'll see you guys on Monday.